Hello and welcome to another podcast from La Civiltà Cattolica English Edition. The 16th century in Spain is a very interesting time because in that century, three of the greatest mystics of the Catholic Church nailed their colours to the mask. One was Teresa of Avila, the second one was John of the Cross. Both of them are Carmelites. The third one at the same time was Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits and a person of unrivaled mystical insights. But the difference between the Carmelites and Ignatius is that Ignatius's spirituality was transferable to ordinary daily living. And that's what we want to explore. How do we find in our lives the intimacy of the engagement with God in the ordinary and everyday that is the hallmark of Ignatian spirituality? That's just as Trinitarian, just as mystical, just as wonderful, but also very down to earth. And that's what we're going to start to explore with Father Brian O'Leary in Ireland. He's an author who's contributed a lot to La Civiltà Cattolica and to many other publications. He's very articulate and he's got a lot to teach us. So let's listen to him. Now, Brian, the first thing I'd like to know is uh, what do you mean by mysticism? What is the mystical? Yes, uh, unfortunately, uh, that is the most difficult question probably to answer. And yet it's uh, at the center of what I was writing about in that article. A mystic is clearly somebody who is close to God. Now, the difference between a mystic and somebody who would not claim to be a mystic is to do with, I think, intensity, the uh, felt intensity of closeness with God and a greater understanding of God as a result of their closeness to him. In general, I would think that mystics, and uh, I'm working to some extent already uh, out of what I think about Ignatius, that they're very conscious that everything that they experience in their relationship with God, whether it be in prayer or outside of prayer, is a pure gift. Ignatius's word or phrase for that was Dea Riba, from above. And that's a very key phrase, I think, uh, to understand Ignatius and to understand mysticism in general, that it is pure gift. It's not the end of a road that we map out for ourselves. It's not something that uh, we can plan for. Uh, it's not something that even is the result of our prayer and our commitment to prayer maybe over many years. There is no guarantee that mysticism will be the end product, at least in, the, in this sense. And I think one of the reasons for the rather extraordinary reticence of Ignatius about speaking about his mysticism is precisely that, that he experienced it not as something that he had any claim to and therefore could talk about freely, but it was something that he had received and he had to respect 
the giftedness of what he had received and as a result not to be too quick to talk about it to others or to share it about others. Whether that was a good uh, decision or not is another question, but I think that his reticence does come from that uh, deep sensitivity to the fact that what he had received and was still receiving uh, was pure gift. Sheer gift. And that's the impulse throughout his prayer is that all the initiative is with God and that whatever comes to us is the consequence of God's gift. All right, well, accepting that that is the case, what's the specific character of Ignatian prayer as received gift? Well, I think that we have to start, um, people who have tried to understand Ignatian mysticism in recent decades have always started with the autobiography. And there, when Ignatius is talking about his time at Manresa, he makes this very clear and almost um, not exactly lighthearted, but certainly a very accessible statement that while there, God was teaching him as a school teacher, teaches a child while instructing him. And after that statement, he goes straight into his description of the five mystical experiences that he had. Now, I don't think we should get tied up about chronology. They may not always have happened. They may not have happened in the same order as he, he uh, dictated them. But it's they are the ways in which God was instructing him. And one commentator even calls them the five lessons that God gave him. So starting there, he plunges right into the, the deepest mystery, really, which is that of the Trinity. And to some extent, that's already quite surprising that he would start with Trinity and then work down, as it were, uh, to the humanity of Jesus and the humanity of Mary. So there is something about the way in which the Trinity is mentioned first that I think is revealing something about the essence of Ignatius's mysticism and what marks it out perhaps than other types of mysticism uh, that other saints uh, received. So I would put the Trinity at the center and his awareness of Trinity at the center of his mysticism. When one moves then 20 or 20 plus years later to the time when he was writing the, um, the spiritual diary, not quite 20, the spiritual diary, um, there that is emphasized again and again because it is so clear there that the main prayer of his years in Rome was based primarily on the Trinity. Again and again, that comes up as he records his experiences uh, almost day by day over that period. It raises issues for people who then say, well, what about the spiritual exercises? Because his way of teaching prayer there 
doesn't seem to emphasize the Trinity very much at all. It's only explicitly present in, say, the contemplation on the Incarnation, where it is very vividly present, and in references to the Gospels, where, say, like the Baptism or the Transfiguration, where there is a theophany, there is a, a manifestation of the Trinity in one way or another. So it's usually taken that the spiritual exercises are mainly Christocentric, whereas the spiritual diary is Trinity-centric, whatever the phrase is. Um, and there seems to be a little tension there between, between the two. Uh, is the way in which Ignatius is leading people into prayer and the exercises, if you like, a simplified version? Or is he uh, showing us the initial steps which are, is, which are open to anyone, like taking up the scriptures, entering imaginatively into gospel scenes, uh, and that kind of prayer, which is uh, easy, uh, easy to start with. But where does that prayer lead? And perhaps people can expect too much from studying the exercises, because the exercises are based uh, primarily, I would think, around the election, about a choice of a way of life. They're not actually trying to get into the, the nature of prayer itself or where it might lead. So my take on it is that Ignatius probably began with the kind of fairly simple prayer that is outlined in the exercises. And he did that because he found it in the earlier medieval tradition. Uh, he wasn't, as it were, making it up. He put his own stamp on it, all right. He was a very good pedagogue and presented it in a way that was um, accessible to people. But beyond that, and in his own development, which seems to have happened fairly quickly, he, he had moved beyond the prayer of the exercises into this an Trinitarian contemplation, which became normal for him. I mean, that's, this is the extraordinary thing, and it's one of the reasons, I suppose, why we call him a mystic and other people, we call them saintly or prayerful or holy or whatever. But it's the consistency of Ignatius's experience that I find very striking, that from Manresa itself, where he had this strong awareness of the Trinity, to the end of his life, where Nadal assures us that his normal prayer, his day-to-day -day prayer, was Trinitarian. So it's that consistency of experience that seems to me to be very persuasive and to justify our regarding uh, Ignatius uh, as a genuine and a very deep mystic. Let's just spend a moment there. He's part of... He grows up in a century that has some extraordinary mystics, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, he, in, in, and they're all in Spain. What was it that was going on in Spain at that time 
that had these people so and totally engrossed in the form of prayer that produces the depth of this mysticism. Do you have any explanation of why that is the case? Well, I don't think we can ever explain why mystics emerge, but I think we can reflect on what might have enabled that kind of mystic person to emerge uh, out of the community of faith. And I think this is one of the insights that perhaps we could develop, uh, I mean, people in general could develop further, and that is the relationship between an individual mystic and the community of faith out of which he or she emerges. And in the community of faith in Spain in, in that century, and starting the previous century, there was quite a revival of interest in prayer, in contemplation. Um, it wasn't confined to certain individuals. It, it was broader than that. It wasn't even confined to religious orders. It was broader than that. It was out there among the laity as well. And uh, many movements were emerging which uh, were promoting uh, this deeper interest and practice of prayer and attention to the inner life. And th the most relevant of those, I think, for us in trying to understand Ignatius, but also to some extent the Carmelites uh, that you mentioned, uh, is the, the, the movement we know as the Alambrados or the Enlightened Ones. And they became quite influential. They saw that the role of the Holy Spirit, which sometimes the institutional church tended not to pay too much attention to, that the, this role of the Holy Spirit was crucial and that the Spirit was active in everybody and in every group and that it was the Spirit praying in us that we had to get in touch with. So that, that was part of the, um, the atmosphere in the Spain of that time. And we know that Ignatius himself was accused a number of times precisely of being an alumbrado, of being one of this move, part of this movement of the enlightened ones. Um, most of which was probably quite orthodox in, in, its, uh, in its background beliefs theological beliefs. There were extremist elements in it which veered away from orthodoxy and became almost a parallel church, if you like. They uh, were so critical of the institutional church as they found it that uh, they just simply moved away and made some, you know, very many extraordinary claims about their, if you like, they're being caught by the spirit. They're being enlightened uh, and the rest of us uh, not. But I suppose the important thing to your question is that, yes, there was a, something going on in Spain uh, it, among Christians across the board uh, that facilitated uh, individuals then emerging out of that uh, who would be specially gifted. So they weren't individuals on their own, as it were, plowing their own path and uh, finding God simply 
as individuals. They were actually part of their own community of faith, and they emerged out of that. And to some extent, they were dependent on that. And I think then, say, somebody like Ignatius never lost his appreciation of the faith of those around him. And as particularly the way that faith was expressed in care of him and in love for him. But that would be my um, reflection on, on the background of why Ignatius and Teresa and John of the Cross and others would emerge in that particular century, in that particular place. I suppose the question we have to ask is what's the relevance and significance of these sort of movements and these sort of individuals for our times? Because I think there's a deep hunger for mystical prayer in our time. What do you think this experience can contribute to our own in this century? Right, I agree uh, with you about that hunger. And I think it's that hunger that is at least in part responsible for the way in which the mysticism of Ignatius has been rediscovered and uh, worked on and appreciated. Uh, tell, tell me about that. Tell me about that. What has been rediscovered and why is it relevant? Well, putting it, I suppose, in simple terms, up to, say, the middle of the 20th century, the dominant image of Ignatius was that of the soldier saint. He was the kind of the swashbuckling knight who defended Pamplona with great foolhardiness, but great generosity of spirit. Uh, and then that he brought that into his life uh, after his conversion and now into the Society of Jesus. Uh, and that that kind of ethos, soldierly ethos, is at the heart of the Society of Jesus. But when people began to say, well, is there more to it than this? And they were reminded that there is more when the uh, autobiography became more widely available and was translated around the, that time, middle of the 20th century, into vernacular languages. They began to suspect, yeah, that there is more to it than, than that. And in turn, that interest in the autobiography led to interest in the spiritual diary, which is a much more difficult document to interpret. But it's more difficult because it's so obviously mystical. So a, a kind of a reinterpretation of Ignatius took place. And it coincided with that hunger for the spiritual and something, the something more, if you like, uh, out of life. I've linked it with the search for meaning. And, and I think that is a very valid way of uh, approaching it that our 21st century now continues this search for meaning, which has, has been around, I suppose, since, well, let's say the, the end of the Second World War. You know, what's life about? Why do things go so terribly wrong? What can replace uh, the old way of doing things, the old way of looking at the world? So there was a lot going on and Mysticism in general, and in our case, the mysticism of Ignatius, seems relevant to this, that 
people began to realize that the great achievements of Ignatius, say in founding the Society of Jesus, in having an extraordinarily uh, wide vision of uh, what he wanted the Society of Jesus to be, uh, an extraordinary, extraordinary mind for putting together a, a complicated text like the constitutions of the Society of Jesus, that all of that actually came out of his mystical experiences, that without them, there wouldn't have been a Society of Jesus, there wouldn't have been a text like the Constitutions. What people in the Ignatian tradition were beginning to discover and to appreciate more and more uh, was actually part of something much wider that was going on in wider society in that search for meaning, which was common to everybody, a believer and unbeliever alike. I, I think the question that you asked could be answered in a number of ways uh, about rel relevance. Um, one is that if we take it that Ignatius's way of finding meaning in his life and his later endeavors and even achievements in the apostolate, whether it be in founding the society or in his own personal involvement with, with people, that comes out of his prayer. And so by looking at him and by seeing what resonates in our experience with his, we begin to be able to approach our search for meaning and our even day-to-day -day activities in the light of what prayer brings us, and particularly if prayer becomes sufficiently deep to be called contemplative, even if we don't want to use the word mystical. So that, it seems to me, is one of the great ways in which any study of mysticism, Christian mysticism today, or even mysticism outside of the Christian tradition, is reminding us that life is not just about what we do. Life is about what's within us, out of which our actions and our activities and our decisions come. Thanks, Brian. I think you've introduced us at a very deep and significant level to just what contribution Ignatius makes to the whole journey of discovery of our humanity and of our Christianity. So thank you for that. We greatly appreciate your contribution to our discovery. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Subscriptions to the English edition of La Civiltà Cattolica range in price from $14.95 to $200. For short-term and annual subscriptions, for individuals and for groups. For further information, go to lacivitacattolica.com, subscribe, L-A-C-I-V-I-L-T-A-C-A-T-T-O-L-I-C-A.com, slash subscribe. <laughs>